glad you're here. Good morning, church family. Uh, if you're new, if you're joining us here for the first time, welcome, welcome. My name is Dan Min, and I serve as the pastor here at ACF, and uh, just want to say how thrilled we are that you're joining us here for worship this morning. Um, I, I know and I realize that many of us are coming out of uh, just kind of a busy, hectic season with exams and tests. In fact, some of us are, had a late night last night and, you know, we're, we're dragging a little bit at this point in the semester. And maybe some of us are dealing with sicknesses and illnesses and, and all kinds of stuff. But um, uh, and, and maybe you're not even out of the woods yet. Maybe you, you, you're still in the throes of exam season and all of that stuff. But um, I just want you to know your church family's praying for you. I'm praying for you. We're, we're praying that God would sustain you throughout the course of this semester, especially at this point in the semester. We're praying that God would fill your cup to overflowing. And, and I pray that this time that we have together uh, on a Sunday morning like this would be life-giving to you and uh, you would encounter the, uh, the sinking deep uh, effect of your soul here this morning. So again, we're glad you're here and I'm excited to open up God's word with you. In fact, if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3. Uh, if you've got a smartphone or a smart device, you can take that out and turn to Ephesians chapter 3. And this morning, we're going to be looking at a text in Scripture that essentially served as the, as the catalyst for this entire series. The title of this series uh, is birthed out of this very passage that we're going to look at here this morning, Rooted and Grounded. Uh, for, for the better part of this semester, we've been looking at what it means to live as people who are rooted and grounded in our faith, rooted and grounded in our lives, through challenging times, through ups and downs. How do we, as people of faith, live as rooted and grounded people? And this passage that we're going to look at here this morning speaks explicitly to that kind of language, rooted and Grounded, And so I'd like for us to look at Ephesians chapter 3, and we're going to pick up at verse 14 and take it to the end of chapter 3. And I'd love to lean into what God has for us here today. Ephesians chapter 3, picking up in verse 14, hear the word of the Lord. The Apostle Paul writes these words. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. Now, pause. We, we mentioned this last week. If you were here last week, we, we said that this is, this is basically the Apostle Paul picking back up where he left off in verse 1. In verse 1, he starts saying, for this reason, right, I, I, I the Apostle Paul, a servant in Christ Jesus, and he lays it out, and then he kind of diverts and takes a detour and starts talking about the mysteries of the gospel. But here in verse 14, he picks back up where he left off, and he's praying for the Ephesians. He's praying for the members in the church in Ephesus. But in many ways, remember, friends, this is not just an isolated prayer for the folks in Ephesus. This is not just for the Ephesians. As we'll see in just a moment, in many ways, he's praying this prayer for believers everywhere. So the people who have devoted their life to following Jesus everywhere, including you and me. He goes on in verse 15, he says, I bow my knee before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. This is a prayer that Paul feels some level of conviction around in regards for believers everywhere, and that includes us here today, from whom every family, us, here in heaven and on earth is named. He prays, verse 16, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, here it is, 
being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And then he closes out with sort of this benediction or this doxology, if you will. In verse 20, he says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Church family, I want you to repeat after me. Say, if this, then that. One more time, repeat after me. If this, then that. If this, then that. Many of us are familiar with the concept of cause and effect, right? If this, then that. If this happens here, then that follows suit there, right? If, if this happens here and, and, and this occurs here, then that has an effect here. If I say this or if I do this, then this happens here. Let me, let me, let me give you an example here. In fact, I'd like to use an example. Uh, if you grew up in church life, if you grew up in the church, uh, you, you may know this sort of call and response, this sort of if this, then that scenario. Now, if I were to say, God is good, and you might say, anyone? All the time, all right, we got some church folks here. I, I, either, you know, we're not fully awake or maybe we're not familiar. If you're not familiar, let, let me just fill you in. In church life, the pastor or the preacher or the worship leader would get up and they would, they would call, and there would be this call and response where they would say up front, God is good, and then the congregation would respond by saying all the time. So again, if I were to say God is good, then you might say all the time. That's right, that's right. Now, Let's, let's get a little advanced here, okay? Uh, sometimes the, the pastor or the worship leader might mix it up, and they might say, all the time, in that case, the congregation would say, God is good. Look at that. You're catching on already. So, so again, if, if, if I say all the time, then you say, God is good. If I said God is good, you say, look at that. If this than that. You see, there's a direct correlation between this, whatever happens here, and then here, whatever happens there. If this, then that. Now, I'm going to do something a little different today. I'm going to, I'm going to work backwards in today's text. Usually, I like to go from top to bottom and, and, and sort of uh, pick apart the passage that way, but today, I want to start with the end. And in the end of today's passage, we read Paul's words, Now to him, verse 20, who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. If this, then that. If what Paul says here is actually true, if the kind of God that Paul is describing here in this passage is accurate, if the God that we believe in is really able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think or imagine, if there is some sort of supernatural power at work within us, if this is all true, friends, we've got to stop and ask the question, then what? 
this is true, then what does that mean for you and for me? As people who follow this God, as people who worship this God, as people who have bowed our knees to the lordship of this God, if this is the God that we worship and we're about, if this is true of this God that we worship, then what does that say about your life and my life today? What kinds of implications does that truth and that reality have on our lives today? By the way, I, I think it's worthwhile for us to stop and ask ourselves an even more fundamental question even before we go any further. And that is, do we even believe this to be true? Do I believe that this is my God? Do I believe that this is the God that I've put my trust in? That this is a God who is capable of doing far more abundantly and exceedingly all that we ask or think or imagine? Do I believe that that is the God that I am following right now? Another translation puts this verse this way. The Passion Translation says, He, he being God, he will achieve infinitely more than your greatest request, your most unbelievable dream, and exceed your wildest imagination. He will outdo them all. He will achieve infinitely more than your greatest request, your most unbelievable dream, and exceed your wildest imagination. Now, I don't know about you, but I think for some of us, we hear that, and we naturally think, it's hyperbole. This is Paul just kind of making a point. He's, this is an over-exaggeration or overstatement of God. And I think if we, if we get real honest with ourselves, I think there's a cynic inside all of us. And maybe, maybe to call it a cynic might be a little strong, but I think there's a, a little voice inside all of us that questions whether this is actually true or not. I think there's a part of us that wonders, is this really the God that I serve, the God that I follow? That he would actually achieve infinitely more than my greatest request, my most unbelievable dream, and exceed my wildest imagination. If you were to think about your walk with God, could you describe your walk with God in those terms? That as I follow God, he has blown my wildest imaginations. He has exceeded my wildest dreams. Or is it just kind of like, yeah, I follow God. I go to church. I do my thing. You know, like, like is this, do we even really believe that this is the God that we serve? Because let me tell you, friends, let me tell you. Your perspective on life is directly tied to the size of your God. How you see life and your worldview that you live by is directly influenced by the size of your God. Uh, to put it a little different, differently, the, the size of your God will determine just how deeply rooted and grounded you actually are. The size of your God will determine just how deeply rooted and grounded you actually are. And so listen now, if your God is a small God, if your God has his hands tied and your God is stuffed into a little confined box in your life, a God who probably can't do a whole lot at the end of the day, you'll start filtering your life through that lens. And all of a sudden, the little road bumps that come along your path become mountains that seem impossible to climb. All of a sudden, the, the weight and the burden that you carry on a day-to-day -day basis become crushing to your souls. All of a sudden, the, the, the thoughts and opinions of others will ring louder and truer than the opinions of your heavenly Father deep down in your soul. The size of your God will determine just how deeply rooted and grounded you actually are. But now, if what Paul says here is true, 
In other words, if your God, on the other hand, is a big God, if he's a big God, and now some of us who grew up in the church, you, you know the whole call and response, God is good all the time. Maybe you even know the song, my God is so big, right? So strong and so mighty, there's what? Nothing my God cannot do, right? Like how, how many of us know that song? Just, just by a quick story. Yeah, if you grew up in camp or you grew up in Sunday school, it's a simple song, right? Like we, we've been taught it as kids. It's got a nice catchy ring. My God is so big so strong and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. If your God is truly a big God, a God who is able to do far more exceedingly abundantly more than we ask for, imagine, or think of, if this is true, friends, there are significant implications that play out in our lives. If this is true, then what? Then a whole lot changes if your God is truly a big and mighty God. Now, in order to discover what those pieces are, we need to move backwards in the text. In the earlier parts of this passage, we see what happens if the statement at the end of this passage is indeed true. Now, Paul says a lot here. I'm going to point out four things in particular that happens if this idea is true. Now, I'm going to run through this rather quickly because at the end, we're going to go to the communion table and we're going to take communion together as a church family here. And so I want to run through these four things that show up that happen if God is truly a big and mighty God, as Paul tells us at the end of this passage. The first is this. The Holy Spirit gives strength to our soul. If God is able to do far more exceedingly abundantly than all that we ask or think, then we can know that the Holy Spirit is able to give strength to our souls. Paul says, I pray that God may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. The Holy Spirit gives strength to our souls when our souls feel weak. I don't know how many of you have ever felt weak at a soul level. You know, like where, where you're just, you're just, you feel weak and beaten down, right? Hey, listen, if God is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, then God knows exactly what we need in our times of greatest need. And not only does he know what he needs, he is able to provide for us exactly what we need by empowering us through his Holy Spirit. He gives us strength in our times of greatest need. Now, friends, I don't know where you go when you feel weak in your soul. I don't know where you go. Maybe like Hannah was mentioning, maybe you just lay down for a nap. You know, like I love naps as well. I, you know, it's, it's a beautiful thing. It's a gift from God. It's, it's one of my spiritual gifts, what I do best. You know, I take naps. Right? But, but maybe for you, you're like, you know, I, I don't know where you tend to go when your soul feels weak or when your life feels unmanageable. Have you ever been there where you feel like, man, I, I have so many balls in the air that I just, I don't even know how I'm going to go on any further. When your inner core, your inner being gets rocked and rattled and shaken up, I don't know, maybe you become instantly paralyzed. You ever been there where you're like, you feel like you can't go any further. Maybe it becomes hard for you to get out of bed in the morning and even function on any given day. Maybe for you, when you feel weak at your core, when you feel weak at, at a soul level, maybe, maybe your tendency is to run towards different coping mechanisms, different drugs of your choice, vices to ease the burden of your life or to escape the challenges that you're facing in life. But friends, 
If you believe that God is a big and mighty God who can do all things, why wouldn't you believe that his Holy Spirit is sufficient for you in times of your greatest need? Why would you not believe that the spirit of the living God, the God who is able to do so much, the God who is able to do exceedingly abundantly all that we ask or imagine, why would you not believe that he has what it takes to fill your soul and to restore your soul in only ways that he can? The Holy Spirit gives strength to our souls and he strengthens our inner being. If we had time, I'd love to unpack unpack what Paul means by his inner being and, and just even spend a little bit of time there. But, but again, we're talking about like when your soul feels weak, when you feel not just physically spent, not just mentally spent, but when you feel spent on every layer of your being, the answer is the Holy Spirit is able to give you strength in times of greatest need. So as long as our God is a big and mighty God, the Holy Spirit is able to give strength to our souls in times of great need. And that's good news, friends. That's good news that we can latch on to here this morning. But not only that, if our God is a big God, the number two, Christ makes his dwelling inside of us. Christ makes his dwelling inside of us. Now, this idea is a bit crazy when you stop to think about it. Paul says, I want you to receive the power of the Holy Spirit so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Some other translations say, then Christ will make his home in your hearts. Christ will make his home in your hearts. Isn't it crazy that the God of the universe, the God of all creation, the God who has spun the world into motion, this big, massive, expansive God who can choose to live anywhere, he chooses to make his dwelling place inside of broken, dysfunctional, fragmented, messed up people like you and me. You and I are the housing vessel for the living God. Now, I don't know about you, but, but if I were God, okay, if I were God, and thank God I'm not because this world would be in disarray if I were God. But if I were God, if I were a God who was able to do far more exceedingly abundantly more than anyone can ask or think, right, like I held that kind of authority and power, I'm not sure that my first thought would be, you know what, I think I want to make my home in you. I want to live inside of you. I, I, I really want to dwell inside of you. I don't even know you, but I'm pretty sure I'm not going to love like, like I'm not going to love living inside of you. I don't want to live inside of anyone. I'm going to choose a great big old mansion to set myself and my empire upon. But, but God in Christ Jesus comes to us and he makes his dwelling place, his home, his place of residence inside of us. Why? So that, here's number three, we would become rooted and grounded in love. Why does Christ make his home in us? He makes his home in us, not because he doesn't have any better place to live. He makes his home in us because he wants us to live as rooted and grounded people who are rooted and grounded in love. Paul says, I want you to be rooted and grounded in love. This is precisely why God makes his dwelling place inside of us, so that the root system of our lives would be deeply steeped in the love of Christ. God says, I want to make my home in you so that you would be deeply grounded in a love like you've never known before. I want to make my home in you so that you would be deeply rooted in my love. 
In the summer of 1967, the popular band, The Beatles, released a single that the world would latch onto as sort of a global anthem. The song was All You Need Is Love. You know that song, right? It's a catchy little tune. It's a simple tune. It doesn't carry a whole lot of, of lyrical genius, but it carries a lot of emotional gravitas, right? Emotional weight for a, a, a world. And this simple song was to serve as a revolutionary cry against war and violence in the mid-60s. This message of all you need is love was intended to instill peace and hope for all mankind. In fact, when the single was aired for the first time, over 400 million people in 25 different countries all heard this tune, and it seemed to strike a deep chord in the human race. There were others for whom this song seemed a bit too simplistic, a bit too naive. Critics and naysayers would come out of the woodworks to bash this song and say things like, no, 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 no. No, love is not all you need. Love cannot fix what is broken in our society. Love cannot fix what is broken in our world. Love is too weak. It's too frail. It's too fluffy. You know, it's too, it's too weak to, to bring about any substantial change in our world. And maybe, just maybe, there are some of us here today that might say something similar. You know, we can understand being rooted and grounded in something like something that is strong firm, right, rock solid, like being rooted and grounded in something that is immovable and steady, right, like being rooted and grounded in love in some of our minds is, is the equivalent of being rooted and grounded in marshmallow, right, like it's like so fluffy, it's so loud, love, love, it's so weak, it's, it doesn't, it's not a firm foundation, it's not like rock solid, yeah, you know, being rooted in, in love, I'm not so sure about that, perhaps it's a bit too naive, we say a tad weak. You see, when John Lennon wrote the lyrics to that song, All You Need Is Love, he was writing largely from the vantage point of human love. In other words, people loving one another, fellow man loving fellow man. And while I appreciate that sentiment, and while I agree, this world can use a healthy dose of loving one another better. I agree with that. That is not the kind of love that Paul is talking about here. He is not talking about human love, for human love has limitations. But the love of Christ, the love of Christ now takes us deeper. And that's number four that we see in this passage. The love of Christ takes us deeper. Look, look, look with me at what it says here in verse 18. Paul says, I pray that you would have strength to comprehend with all the saints, what is the breadth and length and height and depth? Okay, just, just let that sink in for a moment. Let, let me just say, when he's listing off these measurements, these, these forms of gauging measurements, he's not trying to quantify God's love for us. In fact, he's doing the very opposite. He's making the point that the love of Christ is by nature unquantifiable. That the love of Christ for you is everlasting. It's never ending. There's no beginning or end to the love of Christ. Christ has loved you from the very beginning of time, even before you came into being, and he will love you all the way to the very end of time. The depth of Christ's love for us is, by very nature, immeasurable. That's what he's saying. I want you to know the depths and the heights and the, the far reaches of God's love. 
It is this immeasurable love that knows no bound. The love of Christ is like a river that runs right into our lives. It keeps running and running and running, and that river never runs dry. The love of Christ knows no end. And Paul says, I want you to know that love. I want you to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. We sang about it just a few moments ago. We see it in today's passage. Friends, let me tell you, when you know just how deeply you are loved by Christ, it changes you. It changes the very foundation of your life. It changes every conceivable layer of your being. When you understand just how deeply loved you are by Christ, it transforms you. It, it literally rewires your internal root system. The things that you have built your life upon, when you replace it with God's love, all of a sudden, the root system of your lives find itself rewiring itself. It shifts the very foundation of your life. And all of a sudden, you begin to realize, hey, you know what? What the scripture says about God here could actually be true. That, that Listen, our God is, is truly a God who is able to do far more exceedingly, abundantly, more than we could ask for or imagine. And because that's true, because that's true, we can have confidence that, the, that God empowers us in our times of greatest weakness through his Holy Spirit. That we're not left alone when our souls feel weak. God doesn't leave us or abandon us, but rather he meets us in those places and he empowers us in our inner being through his Holy Spirit. We can know that we have the presence of Christ with us and in us at all times because for, for reasons that, 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 that are above us and, and, and our comprehension, God in Christ Jesus has chosen to make his home inside of us. The God of all the places he can choose to, play, to call his place of residence, he says, no, 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 I want to live inside my people. I want to live inside the body of Christ. And because of the indwelling presence of Jesus, we can be rooted and grounded in something that is far stronger than any global anthem, than any song that 400 million people around the world latch onto. We can be rooted in the love of Christ that takes us deeper and deeper and deeper. And friends, I hope in the coming days and the coming weeks, the rest of this semester would be marked by that kind of journey where the love of Christ, you find yourself going deeper and deeper and deeper into the love of Jesus, that every day that the love of Jesus would hit you fresh and anew. And friends, I pray that today would be, would be a piece of that journey for you, that you would come to encounter that very love in meaningful ways. Friends, if, you've, if, if you're here today and, and you've heard about the love of Christ, you, you cognitively get the love of God and you understand to a certain degree, I pray that somewhere along the way, you would cross that line from knowing cognitively to knowing experientially, to knowing the love of Christ in the deepest places of who you are. I pray that today, if you've never experienced the love of Christ in your life, I pray that today would be day one for you. And for those of you who grew up in the church, how many of you know sometimes, you know, you hear messages like this and, and you're almost inclined to kind of dismiss it and say, that's just basic Christian knowledge. If, if, 
that's basic Christian knowledge. I, I want to start from ground zero. <laughs> Every day I want to start from ground zero. Friends, that's not, this is not just basic Christian knowledge. This is all of what there is to the Christian faith. It starts with the love of Christ, and it ends with the love of Christ. When you study Scripture, all that points to the love of Jesus that he has for you and for me. And for those of us who grew up in church life and who have who've, who've understood this message, I pray that we would receive it in our lives fresh and anew. And friends, I can't think of a better way to celebrate the love of Christ than by celebrating communion together. And that's what we're here to do. If, if you've come in today and um, you haven't received a communion element, you can uh, make your way out back. And um, we, we have these available at the welcome table here uh, just outside. But I'm going to ask you to take out your cups. And in fact, worship team, you guys can come on up. And I'm going to lead us through this, uh, this next portion as we, as we take communion here together.